Welcome to the Leading by History podcast, where we take our listeners on a journey, walking and talking our way through history to delve into some of the deepest thoughts, concepts, ideas, issues, and challenges. We know you're going to enjoy your time with us. Come along for the journey, Leading by History. We look forward to getting to know you better. Welcome back to another episode of the Leading by History podcast. I'm your host, Masayahu Raul, and it is a pleasure to be with you again. Season four has been a dynamic season, and it has really been filled with a lot of educational opportunities, a lot of people that have come in to give us understanding of less understood parts of history and culture. This week is no different. We have with us Mr. Daniel Marks, who is a teacher and practitioner of what is called the 52 Blocks System, C52G, and we want to welcome him to the show today. Uh, Daniel, how are you? How you doing, brother? I'm, I'm doing fine. Good. So let me add some context to C52G. Uh, it's ahead. a short, short way of saying Constellation 52 Globe. I'm sort of like one of the head instructor levels in Constellation. And the organization is headed by one K1 Adon Aknata, affectionately known as Big K. And then, um, you know, I got to pay tribute to the ancestor who helped K get his skill, who then helped us get our skill. And that's his brother, Reed. I appreciate you uh, explaining this C52G, you know. A lot of things have transpired with 52 Blocks over the years. I first became aware of 52 Block sometime around maybe 2011, 2012. I was working at that time in a facility for youth who had been offenders and had one more opportunity before they went away to jail. And I was looking for workout programs and things of that nature that I could do with them to help them sort of get out their angst, be able to be a positive way to deal with anger or pent-up aggression, and working out is very good for doing that. And I came across this group of people called the bartenders and attempting to bring some of that back to the kids and practicing with it. I saw one day Giant do some kind of hand movement as he was working with a razor blade. And I was like, what is that? And I kept seeing this strange way that he was like holding his arms, doing these blocks. And I learned that it was something that was called 52 block. And at that time, I didn't know the difference between any different styles of 52 blocks. I hadn't heard of Dado, but I did recognize the elbow tapping from being a kid and when we would fight as kids, like moving from one elbow to the other elbow is, is in a way to like mesmerize, you know, your opponent and throw them off. And I was like, what is this? And as I delved deeper, I heard people saying it's the black man's fighting art, you know, and I was like, what? You know, like I was so intrigued. And so I ended up reaching out to you. I purchased the DVDs. I think there was one called Break Think. And, and then we started to correspond at that time. And I brought that information to the kids and they loved it. I mean, they loved watching the videos. They loved the workouts. They loved the art. And as I continued to just dig deeper and learn more, I found out about this whole underworld, if you will, of 52 blocks fighting style, how it was a, it, there was a haven for it in Brooklyn, especially in Brownsville areas. And so I want you to, before we get into the history of this art that we briefly talked about, can you first tell, tell us about yourself and, and your training in martial arts and fighting, and then lead us into how you became aware of 52 Block? Well, I started out boxing. My uncle was golden gloves, so everybody in the house had to learn how to box. So that was my first foundation in fighting, to go to the gym. This happened to be the same gym that the amateur Sugar Ray Leonard fought out of. 
and see Pleasant Merlin. So, you know, I was ecstatic after seeing him um, mm. fighting the Olympics, you know, in 76. So this, this, mm. this is telling you how old I am. So from <laughs> there, it was like, okay, you know, this is before the onslaught of uh, Kung Fu and everybody wanting to learn karate and things of that sort. So in the early days, it was hard to tell the difference, except that the, you know, karate guys wore geese and Kung Fu guys were, you know, wore different type of uh, clothing to train in, so to speak. So then I got into karate, which was a baseline of judo and weapons. So that carried me into the mid 80s. And when I went into the army, so I have a background in boxing, I have a background in judo, karate. And then Mm. we start mixing it up. Like people from different areas want to show what they know. And I got into a slap boxing contest with a kid out of Chicago. And it was like, this is that street stuff. You won't know nothing about it. And the first couple of times out, you know, I got the short end of his long arms. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So after that, I was like, yo, what's this dude from, you know, New York put me on. He was from Brooklyn. So at that time, I just associated things with, like, this is something out of book. I didn't know it was like New York wide. And then I moved to New York. And of course, I'm hungry at this point. I got to know this. I would chase it down and run it to a lot of dead ends. And I ended up at a group home working there. And one of the counselors just happened to know what I was talking about. So he was like, yo, that's that jailhouse right there, you know, jailhouse boxing. It was the same thing. I heard about it in the military. Now I want to, you know, I want to get on. Like, show me how to do that. So he didn't think he knew it well enough to pass it on, but he told me how people get down with it so I could recognize. So then I sought out looking for people who knew it. And a lot of times you'd have to wait, oh, that dude, he locked up. When he come home, though. You know, I'll talk to him for you. Well, it just so happened that, you know, I stayed in the martial arts and started learning jujitsu, of the Sanukas Rule family style of jujitsu. And that was kind of feeding me. Then I got involved in some Filipino martial arts. I was learning, you know, stick and blade. And it just kind of resonated with me, the Filipino art. Like there was a rhythm to it that I could adapt to where I was kind of struggling with some of the other stuff. Because even if it's eclectic and you can move with flow, you kind of have to know what flow is to adapt the intricacies of the movement so that they're correct when you're moving with flow. And so the Filipino martial arts helped me make my jujitsu a lot better. So I was, you know, thinking that, you know, if there was a such thing as 52, it would have to have been a blend because I don't know the culture at the time. Right. But Brooklyn is full of people from the diaspora, Caribbean, Jamaica, Trinidad, you know, right. all over the island. So all of a sudden, they don't know nothing about all that other stuff. Yeah, there was a school in, in, on Atlantic Avenue called When Worlds Collide. And, you know, that's Doc. Doc taught out of there. That's Dr. Moses Powell, for those who the don't great know elephant. what I'm talking about. Uh, for mm-hmm. sure. But he also had that thing in him. And, you know, when he flowed, it was a little something different. And he made a, he made a point of pointing that out sometimes. Yo, I didn't mm. learn this from Professor V of the uh, Bijisuru family. So learning all this rhythm and stuff and, you know, seeing that there was a connection of family, it was through the history that I would learn that, you know, the American sellers would bring boxing into the Philippines in the late 1800s. So there is a connection between us in this rhythm, this dance, mm. this music, this fight. We all have this instinct because we, you know, culturally, there's a connection. So long story short, I decided I'm going to do a documentary. Yeah. And that's when I met a brother named Doug Century, who introduced me to K1, Adon, not them. And he was Big K at the book Street Kingdoms. Now he, his life turned me on because he linked to the culture. So I knew he had to have something that I was missing and he would be the answer. So I waited a couple of years, you know, still researching, still interviewing people. I would run into a couple of people out of Queens and got some information that I was kind of happy with. Until I saw K1, I was like, oh, this is like the whole package. Mm. In my eyes, it was things connected. There was a rhythm. He wasn't talking about the rhythm. He was doing it. He was connecting mm. and moving. And I'm just like, yo, all that's connecting. That's locking up in it. I could see it. I could automatically see the fight in it. And of course, I was like, I got to learn. And, you know, he wasn't mm. open to teaching me in the beginning. Mm. Who am I? You know, a lot of people come in right. and say, oh, I just want to learn. You know, I want to pass it on to my kids and all that. Yeah, yeah, I want to hear all that, dog. He said, uh, you know, a friend of mine, need, uh, he needs something. Can you send that to her? I said, sure. Sent it to her. He said, when I get that call, 
then I'll come see. He got the call, he drove up, he was sick. It was New Year's Eve, <laughs> he driving up from Philly, and he's sick. He had gave me his word. So he showed up at my door. I'm like, yo, if you don't feel good, brother, he said, brother, listen here, man. I'm going to be all right. Where are we going? It's like, this is in your house and all this. I'm like, yo, in the basement. We got, I got a spot down there. I train. All right, then let's go. And then he started the show. And he was brother to brother. Like, let's get this done. So he walked me through a lot of things that just blew my mind. And after that, I was like, this documentary is going to be crazy. And he has to be in it. So I reached out and we went through rigmarole. Me earning his trust enough for him to invite me down to his house. And that's when the story broke. He was the last one I got to interview and he was the best. So when the, when 2007 rolled around, we put out the documentary. Now, by that time, other people had begun to kind of like chime in on it because it's making its rounds on all the internet forums and all of this. We've been talking about it since 1998. It give you how long that timeline is. Mm. And so, so I guess people figured they should capitalize on it. Nobody really knows what it is because nobody could see back then. Nobody was filming and putting stuff up that hadn't that platform hadn't existed yet without right. great without great tools and, and money spent and then facebook came along and then youtube and that was it everybody had a a, a a way to create a platform and then it seemed like we were competing with each other but in reality i always came with the culture my goal was to give Young, young black people and older black people something that they can recognize as their own knowing that it, it started with us throughout the diaspora it has a foundation and, and and things that we don't even know about anymore like the art of kalinda it's like a stick and blade knife fighting system um taught out of haiti and in new orleans during the time of slavery so the kalinda aspect is you know more of the celebration part so they wouldn't be stick fighting for real. But if you go to Trinidad, they stick licking, they be hitting each other. They be trying to crack each other's head open. So the drums is all this. Then you find out about the Angoleros and the Cubanos, people coming in from Cuba with this dancing knife. And then you realize it's always been here in a part of us. So the, the hood culture was never really popular until after Michael Jackson, right? And then the birth of hip hop, and then we start introducing what the hood is really like to the world. Mm -hmm. This is now 52 makes sense, right? It, 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 it completes the cycle. So there is something that we named that's our own. And we called it, at the time, you we hear a lot of different names, right? You mentioned Stato. Well, that's what the old heads called it because those who went to prison upstate New York, they would come back with this nice way of boxing. And then you had the jailhouse. And that kind of picked up in the late 60s and the 70s because of people who was locked up in Rikers. You know, they in the jail, not a prison, but they're in jail and, you know, they was mm -hmm. boxing. And then, you know, to keep some context here, a lot of the upstate prisons, even in Jersey, you know, the Rawway prison, they actually had live boxing matches. And, you know, Hurricane Carter was proof of that. So it's not like, oh, you're making that up. It's like, Hurricane Carter fought a, a, bo a professional boxing match while he was still in jail. Mm. So boxing was huge until <laughs> they realized that, you know, once a man gets trained up and stop poisoning himself, he might be more than a handful when you disrespect him. Mm. So then the boxing program started leaving and about a, by the time the end of the 80s come around, the PLL, you know, Police Athletic League, Boxing was kind of fading out. So if it wasn't a professional gym, there was very little boxing. So where at a time from, say, Sugar Ray Robinson to like Mike Tyson, there were boxing gyms on every corner in the hood. They're closing. So we had to go to the recreation centers and then karate was dominant there because a lot of guys was teaching that as opposed to boxing. And boxing is a lonely sport. It's basically you and your quest for perfection. Whereas in karate, you can kind of like be in a group. You may end up shining, but you're kind of like a, you know, a big fish in a small pond sometimes. You're only as good as the people around. Same thing with boxing and when it comes down to fighting, you know, but the gym wars are like notorious up and down the East Coast. If you wanted some good scraps, you find one of them hardcore gyms 
and you take your prospect there and see what he made of. And I guarantee mm. you, a lot of them guys didn't make it on the scene, but when it came to Jim Wars, their name meant something. And I give you a good point of reference to that is James Tony. He did a lot of spawn. Everybody wanted to know why James Tony is so good. It's like because he sparred all the time. Anybody, I don't care what weight class you're in, you want to put in the you want to get in the bank, let's go. 52 had that same spirit. It's like if you wanted to be good, you're not gonna get good in practice, man. Shadow blocking. You're only gonna get good if the guy that you're boxing with is up the par or better than you. Because that's what's gonna make you pay attention to what you're doing and sharpen you up. So we say still sharp and still. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of like my background and all of that. So, you know, I've been in the game mm-hmm. for over, you know, since 86 to the present. You know, Constellation is still here, still teaching. So 52 blocks is really important because for Black people in the diaspora, in America specifically, there's always this belief, as some of the early, even African-American Historian said that we came to the Americas from Africa, an empty slate, that we came with nothing. But we know today that this was untrue. So folks like E. Franklin Frazier and others who were writing in the 1960s, etc., that said that we were this blank slate realized, well, they may not have realized, but we, we realize now that that wasn't true. There's more and more information coming out all the time about how much we do here that is a direct correlation, has a direct correlation to what was taking place in Africa from the foods that we ate, the kind of clothing, the way that we wore our clothing, etc. And why would there be all of those elements of culture, but yet there would be no element of protection no element of fighting, no fighting art that would also transfer. How could you have fight uh, aboard slave ships like the Amistad and hundreds of others where black folk came up against the enslavers on those ships and gave them the business (laughs) and took over those ships, commandeered those ships. There had to be an art of fighting that those people knew and understood. So 52 blocks to me represents the African-American truth of coming here civilized as human beings in a terrible predicament and against our will, but coming here as human beings. We didn't come here as slaves. People say, oh, when we got here as slaves. No, 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 a slave is made, human beings are born. We came here as human beings and were made, many of us, into slaves. But that doesn't mean that we were void of heritage and culture and ways of life and living, understanding the world, etc. So 52 blocks is extremely important to me for this purpose. You know, you talked about your history, your fight history, how you came about 52 blocks, how you found out about it, etc., was there anything you wanted to share on that before I go to the next question? Pretty much here we are, right? There was talks that it didn't exist, that it was made up, that we co-opted, you know, Kung Fu Karate and made up this fighting style for boxing. But people don't know the history of boxing. You know, some of the early bare knuckle champions in North America were black. Yes. Bill Richmond, Tom Molyneux. Um, so those can be easily searched. Bill Richmond is, a, is right. very, very famous. So it's like he made a name for himself during the time the Haiti Revolution started. Think about that, how long ago that was, 1804, right. for those who, who need to look it up. All I'm mm-hmm. saying is, is that, that if we have a long-standing history. Just because it's not popular <laughs> doesn't mean it didn't exist. So I, I want to talk about what makes 52 different from, let's say, karate or kung fu or jujitsu. You know, what makes it as a fighting art different from those fighting arts? Usually people start this question or answer this question in a way of saying, you know, the person makes the style. That's not true. Some styles are predicated in culture. And what I mean by that is that you carry a signature of the of the way that culture teaches their arts. So if it's flowery, you learned how to be flowery. If it's got flow, you'll learn flow. 
if it's strict line or, or, or rigid, that's how you're going to develop because that's what they're teaching. You're not going to just adapt it and make it something it's not. Maybe you can exceed where others have not reached. However, that's still got to come from the basic foundation. So we can start there with saying 52 is part of culture that already gives a man an eclectic way of, of approaching a problem. We come in with an innate ability to um, pick up rhythm, beats, off rhythms. And some of us move better than others, but like you can tell, you can tell by the way we walk, the way we talk, everything is in a cadence. So the early military formation of Africans was being called by either the drum or the horn to formation. So you was already moving. You know, if you look at the Zulu, they chant, woof, woof. You know what I'm saying? Like you getting it. Yeah, getting ready to get busy. So we do the same here, man. You know, it's like, it's not posturing a lot of times. It's not, it's not our attitude. It's just our innate ability to just be alive and in tune with, the, with nature. So I would say it's, let's start there. From a technical standpoint, it has foundations in wrestling and early forms of, of, of boxing. What I mean by boxing is, is that boxing is a scientific way of striking. Boxing has been improved on over the years, so the punches are better, but it's using your body weight to throw a punch. Like, that's the basic foundation of a good boxer. He can put his whole body into a, into a punch. One single punch, his whole body weight behind it. That's the epitome of a boxer. And 52 just does, it masters it by, by good movement. You know, people say, oh, you, you're trying to dance and show off. But really what you're doing is trying to set up this line of attack that when you get the right angle and you let the punch go, he's going to fill it with all your weight behind it. If I told you I was going to hit you hard, you could brace. But if you think I'm not going to hit you hard, then you're not bracing for it at all. Catch mm. the, and then you catch the whole impact of the blow. So it's a, it has an insidiousness about it because, you know, <laughs> you look like you don't want to do it. Playing with him. Yeah, don't throw that in here like that. And then you grab onto them, like snatch it. Nope, out of nowhere. Because people get mm. hardy when they think that it's light. When you're too right. playful. They want to rush you. The bull charging the matador because he's waving that flag in front of him, that redness. He get angry and upset. But when he charges the matador, if he's good, he ain't going to be there. So the bull get tired. That's 52 in a nutshell. Mm. I can come, you know, I can I can come get you with some strong stuff, but it's masked behind something that don't look that hard. Mm. So there are different teachers of 52. And one of the things that I noticed was that now there are these European practitioners that are doing some form of 52. They're given these strange names to different parts of the blocks and so forth and so on. Um, I guess my, my first question is, how did the name 52 evolve according to what you understand and what you were taught? And then what about these folks that are around the world now saying that they're teaching 52? How do we pinpoint what the actual, what 52 actually is? How do we know the real thing? That's a very good question, brother. And uh, I can add, I might try to answer it with the least amount of hyperbole. <laughs> okay. So first of all, what we call body wisdom and constellation, that is the, the body performing with an exactitude to the thing it's trying to accomplish. There's a saying that form follows function, right? And if form follows function correctly, you get to flow. Okay. So that's one thing about 52 that everybody needs to know that, you know, there's a flow to it. It's an instinct of the body that moves in a way that's comfortable to it. It's not something that you can't make up rhythm. Either it, you're, cause you look at a dancer, they might be doing all kinds of crazy steps, but they're in tune to the beat. Mm -hmm. Some guys are on beat like crazy or they off beat. And you can tell because the beat is doing something and they're doing something off of it. And then they pick it back up and you're like, wow, like tap dances, for instance. So 52 has a, a strong sense of, of that. Now, as far as other people teaching and, 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 and the co-opting of things, you got to look at where people started learning. 
if you're coming from an Asian background, like I, I trained in karate and I told you I had a hard time with karate because it really didn't speak to me. And the way I learned to be good at karate was to actually learn how to relax instead of being all hard and rigid. That was one. Two, the way jujitsu is, jujitsu is gentle, right? Doesn't look like you're doing a lot, but when you touch people the right way, they kind of fold up. So again, mm-hmm. these, these are like feminine principles that most people kind of miss. So like a lot of people who, who see 52 always think they need to make it hard. So they come in from, say, an Asian construct. And then when they start to teach what they think they understand, it's just, it's just coming out like, what is that? And so some people can only adapt to the hard, right? That looked like that'll work in a real fight. I'm like, yeah, but you're going to be out of energy. Mm. You're going to be tired without you trying to use force on everything. So mm. the, you, know, you have to understand the balance in your own body, masculine and feminine, in order to have correct balance. People across mm. the world want to teach because, again, we put it on YouTube and we made it public. Some people adapted to what they, they seem to like about it. If it fit into their narrative, some people were using, and I, I'll put it out there, Wing Chun as a foundation for their block. People recognized right. that and assumed we couldn't have our own thing. So we had to adapt something like Wing Chun or maybe a Filipino art. And then that's what we're really doing. We're just calling it 52. Mm. Yeah, but we don't all move the same way. And again, you can pick up your own rhythm is different from you picking up on somebody else's rhythm. I took talk, I talked about having a signature. If you understand somebody's the way they move, they have a signature of how they behave, their mannerisms. They actually, when you're going to uh, certain classes, they teach you their mannerism. And Japan is very strict. You, you're in military formation because when the Japanese introduced karate, they introduced it to the student and they had a form, like basically in a military mindset. It was all about their nationalism and they made karate fit their military mindset. So it was very rigid, very structured and concise. Like you move, you stop. No room for self-expression until you got to mm. like the higher level. And Kung Fu, mm. pretty much the same. It's still based on the culture of, of, of Chinese and some depending on what region of China they're from, their province. So that, that nature and their culture, their mannerisms, how you bow, how do you respect the, the seafood and all of those things, they pass that on to you. Well, I mean, we have the same kind of thing, except that there was a fracture in our culture. There was a time where the young stopped listening to the old because they felt mm-hmm. like they were foolish. We could say it was by design, but I think this is sometimes that the frequency shift and it means that there's going to be a new thing and the old don't want to let go. And the new can't and the young can't wait to get to the new. So this paradigm shift happened in our culture. And therefore, a lot of the mannerisms that we didn't take from our grandfather and fathers and uncles, we wanted to be. But a lot of us don't have foundation. And I'm not talking about single mother families. I'm just talking about, in general, cultural foundation, because that's what raises our environments. That was like, if you grew up in the 70s, you can hear people talk about a ghetto paradise, because that was at a time where kids were allowed to be out and play during the day, but don't go out at night, because that's when the older kids went out and did their thing. And you didn't want to be no part of that, unless you were part of that. You feel me? Right, right. So... So what about this name, 52? Because we know about the early iterations of Stato and then Jailhouse Rock. And then I heard people in Philly talk about 52 pickup, uh, you know, and then I heard, you know, you hear Wu-Tang, they talked about your 52 hand blocks. Where did this 52 uh, name come from? What have you heard and found in your research? Let's let's put it down and just say that it's the the number fifty two is entrenched in science, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the art itself is all scientific. It is for me, but 
I can't say that for everybody. The the card game 52 pickup does have some say in the lore of the name itself. Um, there's two ways that you can like approach this, right? There was the thing that, oh, there was this kid, you know, they, they had a deck of cards. They smacked it out of his hand and told him to pick up the cards. And while he was picking up the cards, he was blocking. He had to block all the, everybody was attacking him. 52 pickup, right? And then I was like, Okay, so in my mind, being somewhat of the student of, of, of knowledge and trying to analyze things, I'm looking at the focus. I'm looking at a practitioner who, who's intense and moving, whose peripheral vision is, is incredible. You can't see behind your head, bro. And, and the movements are so meticulous that there's no way you're just throwing up random blocks from attacks. You understand what I'm saying? That, right. that, that definition didn't fit me. What the definition that fit to me was something that Mike Tyson mentioned. When you take the deck of cards and every, 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 every card in the suit represent a number of repetitions. So you laid out the deck of cards and you turned them over so you couldn't see the rep. And then when you flip the card, when you got to that station, whatever you was doing, push-ups, sit-ups, whatever, that's that's how many reps you had to knock out. So 52 pickup in that way is we're going to do this whole deck and get right physically so that when we start going to the shadow boxing and then actually spawn with each other, we, we physically right. So a lot of brothers put an emphasis on being physically right, which is why Constellation and the bartenders came together when we when we let the documentary out. They had the physical element that I knew was culturally you know, a part of this 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 beginning in 52. They was doing the things that these brothers told me they did to make sure that they had their inner strength right. Because when you see mm. a dude, he's been putting in that work on the bar, pull-ups, push-ups, dips, and all of that. He ain't looking like nobody that's, like, lazy. Right. <laughs> and he, he's, he's doing repetition after repetition. And that's the same thing about 52. It's about repetition, not the repetition. You think that block is crisp. It looks lazy, but it's crisp. So when he throws it up and you hit his arm, it's like me hard. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I thought it was soft, but he's hard. But he doesn't look like karate, but it's like, ah, fighting himself to get right. a block out. He's just throwing it up mm-hmm. there. And his body alignment makes it hard. Bang. When you hit him, he don't bounce off. You bounce off. And then he's like, mm-hmm. I got you. So it's a lot of nuance to 52 that gets lost in the visual aspect, the aesthetics, whereas the person who's teaching you may or may not know that. Hey, as a listener to the Leading by History podcast, we want to tell you about some exclusive opportunities available to you as a listener. If you go to patreon.com backslash leading by history today, you'll find that there are three tiers of support that will give you exclusive access to our program. We've got the official patron level, the all access tier, and the highest level, the VIP patron level of support. If you want to find out how you can have exclusive access and have impact on what we offer, Go to patreon.com backslash leading by history today. Again, mm. it's global, right? I've had the opportunity to travel to Finland, uh, Germany, and show people 52. We actually traveled to Brazil a couple of times and you know, had people travel to, and to see us. So we have a global reach too. And, you know, a lot of people like it. Oh, I, I never learned how to box like this. Professional people, a martial mm. artists, you know, they, they love it too. But the rhythm, like I said, doesn't speak to everybody. So you don't try to impose that. Like there, there might not be a school where you see 10,000 people 
and Unison's doing 52. However, right. the dancers seem to love the play. That guides me into the next question. I've heard that uh, breakdancing is really just a, uh, um, a veiled uh, form of 52, similar to how capoeira is, seems like a dance, but is a veiled form of fighting in this Brazilian fighting style. Um, I remember a video of you where I think you were with one of the original New York City breakdancers. And, you know, as he did the breakdance move, you were showing the martial application, the fighting technique that was within it. Talk about breakdancing in 52. Okay. Uh, again, I'll try to make it brief. The video, yes, I do remember. Mr. But- Wiggles. Now, it wasn't Mr. Wiggles, man. Mr. Wiggles okay. talked off, off camera. Mr. Wiggles okay. is like the guy who's like helping, you know, give 52 a more of a dance personality right now. And so that's his, that was his contribution. He grew up with it. You know, he's like, ah, you know, I'm going to add it to my thing. And people loved it. And now you can see it more. They're starting to get attention. And short story, short story was this, um, this Asian hip hop show that actually came to the gym when we was in the Bronx and they filmed this. We never did see the footage, but I heard this now on Instagram. <laughs> Me and my mm. brother, we sparred for them. And we taught the host some 52. And she was like the dance. And I said, no, no, this is not the dance. This is the warrior side. There's a distinction. Mm-hmm. So to add to the whole breakdancing thing, what people didn't see about breakdancing is breakdancing is diaspora. You know, before the Anybody in the Bronx was boogalooing. Yeah, the Cubans came here in the 20s and brought a lot of the cultural ifa with them. You know, right. Ricky Ricardo was singing Babalu while playing the Congo. Nobody understood what he was talking about because the culture infused with the music is it's not a separate thing. It's a lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. And so when Cubans kind of faded out in New York, a lot of people from, say, Dominica and Puerto Rico came and became, you know, right into the culture. So the culture of Latin jazz and music and, you know, the um, Brazilian aspect was like since from like the early 1900s had now begin to take root because we were allowed to express ourselves musically. And, you know, Pentex uh, was a lot of the Latin fusion, what they call fusion, was just different expressions with the instruments to bring about this culture. So, you know, your grand, you might have went to like a cabaret and watched your, your moms in them boogie and didn't even know you was picking up the culture. So then when the youngins start to really like show, like there's a documentary called The Freshest Kids. And then it, they talked about some of the early founders of breakdancers, like the Coco Brothers, this dude named Spy, the man with a thousand moves. And yo, he did the Four Corners got down on the ground and got back up. And then they was like, yo, we didn't, we didn't break dance on, on cardboards. We did it on concrete. And so mm-hmm. that lends into the, the culture and the spiritual aspect of not laboring on mother earth, controlling the body. So that, you know, same thing in Capoeira and Capoeira, you know, the training was to build the body physically up so it could adapt to change in combat. So it looks like a dance because rhythm is how you get the body to do more. So, you know, coming back to breaking, the uprocking element had a machete aspect in it. And they asked me, well, why, how was that? I'm like, if we're in like Michelle in um, Capoeira, the music dictates when you swing your machete so that you and the other guy stay in tune so y'all wouldn't kill each other. And mm. uprocking, there's a lot of face-off where you, you know, they call it burns, right? But you're pretending to actually attack the person. You come real close to hitting them without actually letting it loose. The difference in 52 is that it was popping these dudes. They were we actually fighting. And you might put a little boogie into it because, you know, you want to show out. So if you look at the element of guys who were actually making contact to faking like, I'm going to hit you. The young and are seeing the fake hits going, yo, and then, then they start adding their own little boogie to it. The music changed, right? Hip hop came in with the, the 808s, but it was really built off of disco. The tracks, the, the, the grooves in the tracks, they would just sample those and keep playing that loop over and over again. 
So that frequency was moving. So that became the foundation of hip hop. We took another part of our culture and we sampled it. And then those who came up on that began to move differently. Again, cutting off the past, not linking back to jazz and Latin fusion and all these things and thinking that we got our own thing, but really we just building on the construct that was already here. We're allowed to do that because it's already a part of you. You were born with it. So I want to ask, as we're coming down to some of the final moments, I want to I want to find out about some of the names of the great 52 blocks practitioners that you've come across in your research. Having watched your documentary, I thought it was excellent and opened up a whole new world of, of understanding this culture. A lot of people talk about this man called Mother Deer. He was said to have been predatory, and a lot of people started talking about how he was so skilled in 52, and I even heard the foolishness of the fact that he had created 52. I don't know where they got that from, but they talked about him having this ability fighting with 52, but from those who said they were locked up with him, what I heard was that he just knew a few of the blocks, and if you can execute a few of the blocks extremely well, you're going to be better than the average person who doesn't know how to fight at all anyway. And that's where some of the acclaim came from. But I wanted to immediately lay waste to that idea that somehow 52 was tied to this uh, character, Mother Deer, who was killed and one of the prisons in New York being thrown off the tier, I think, and uh, whatever, by some of the Puerto Ricans, the Boricuas that were there in that prison because he was predatory. But what are some of the names of the real practitioners, the folks who really knew this art of fighting? What are some names? Who are some people that you would put out there that you came across where folks said they had it? Okay, so I can't clear up everything about mother dear because unfortunately it's one of those things that exists in our culture that a lot of us kind of want to shy away from remember when we talk about the music the music isn't masculine or feminine it just happens to be a blend of both in order for you to get hard tones and soft tones to make music and sometimes in our culture things happen to people and you know they kind of survive so mm-hmm. the story i hear about the man was He was young when things started happening to him and his way of learning how to defend himself was part of his art. He was put on like everybody else because the men who knew the skill had already had it by the time he made it to prison. Now, the stories that you heard about him is when he went to Rikers. So, you know, he was predatory, but it was a lot of other people that were predatory as well. You know, and he wasn't in C-74, C-76. You know, that was just like a different breed of like maturation at that point. Right. So he was also to some people, cause there's like multiple versions of the title. So mother, there's a person in prison who's feminine, mm-hmm. who, you know, but they men, if you understand what I'm saying. Yes. So some guys say, you know, he used to be a part of the black spades, which means that he knew how to war. So that goes without saying that you get in that, that environment, and you're going to get tested one way or the other. Mm-hmm. So as far as him inventing it, no, did not. However, he was infamous. There were other men that were also infamous for different reasons. Like one was a strong arm dude. Strong arm mean he robbed you. You walk up to you and say, I, I'm taking that. And he took it. And Eric mm. Twitty was known for doing that. He, you know, out of Brooklyn. And that was Brooklyn during the 70s, late 60s, 70s. It was hard time. And, right. you know, cats was doing things like when they got put on, you know, a lot of people wanted to learn. But like you would train your brothers, but not necessarily others. So he grabbed the reputation. Uh, I got to talk about Reek K. Wan's brother because, you know, he went up north. And when he came back, he had a different mindset. And he made sure that K. Wan and them learned about court. And what court is, is that you stand on the square. and Whatever differences you have with somebody else. That's when y'all solved that. Mm. These brothers would be behind you. Their brothers would be behind him. And y'all would handle that business inside that square. And when you would, but it was over, it was over. Mm. You know, K-1 grabbed the reputation because he got to see 
people like Derek Eady, Sam Prophet, Michael Duffy, like, his, mm. you know, along with his brother, these are some of the Brooklyn names. Like, he's like, oh, yo, I know that dude. And that's because they fought. They were fighters. He did teach other people. And as Saladin, who was the one who told me a lot about him, the guy he knew his mother there, right? He was the one who taught him how to start, how to fight. He didn't bother mm. him in that way, in a sexual way. He didn't bother him like that, but he was looking out for him like a big brother type. Mm. But when you lock down, you kind of change your mindset. And yeah, man, it's, it's like just like gang members. They see somebody in there that's weak. They fool, right? Right. You know what I'm saying? You let a lot of brothers got cuts on it in their face around their cheek where their ear is because they've been spending too much time on the phone and they got warnings. So, mm. you know, there's a lot of things in this. That's why we say insidious. It's a lot of things in this culture that ain't like honorable in the way of like, I grew up pristine religiously and we believe in these principles and we don't, you know, we don't cross the line. This is a survival culture. And sometimes mm. the line is blurred. There were some infamous lady boys in our culture who were nasty with a straight razor. And one guy mm. came to mind out of, out of Kansas. His name was Sweet Evening Breeze. Sweet Evening so Breeze. Came to you, Sweet Evening Breeze. And when it came to using that razor, though, hard target, bro. Cut you down. Mm. Now, anybody mm. want to say, you know, what, what the razor have to do with 52, I would say just it's on Prime. Go look up the movie called JD's Revenge. And when you see mm. JD pop that razor out, understand what people got to learn how to block and guard their grill, protect mm. their neck. These protect te- neck. This terminology is because it was a war, it's a, it's a war art. But no man will teach another man to make war if he can't raise him first from a horizontal to standing perpendicular. Like you gotta have a mindset of not getting yourself into problems, but if you need to use the skill, here it is. Right. You dropped some serious names. I heard about the Michael Duffy's, the Eric Tweedy's, and people talked about how they would do a thousand or more push-ups every day and their arms were like tree trunks and that they were so strong with their blocks that many times they wouldn't even have to throw offensive shots. The blocks alone would devastate people's hands and arms because they were in such physical shape that one of their blocks with their elbows could break a hand, a knuckle, whatever the case may be. I mean, there's a misconception that we're blocking with the elbow. Okay. The elbow is a short range of motion. You just bring in your forearm up the cover and shield your face and neck. So in the process, yeah, you can probably catch somebody, but you want that whole shield. So you don't want to just try to focus your elbow on the target. A fist is the size of a small tennis ball or whatever for most people. And you could probably miss. But if you put the shield in the right place and he just happened to hit it, that's on him. You feel me? Plus, yes, I understand. You can't counterattack with you trying to point your elbow out of place. You get hit in the ribs. So let's just get that focus. And like, I'll talk about like the learning that K1 got from his brother, Reek, right? Reek put him on timing. They say, listen, bro, there's a frequency you hit that you can block anything. Mm. And if you ever seen K1 do a demonstration of 52, you ain't hitting yeah, them. Right. You ain't hitting them. We did a, we did a video with uh, Styles P and Styles P said, I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, where are you going to hit him at? Right. <laughs> There's no opening. You, you, right. you understand? And then the song is called Because I'm Black. But it's with Constellation right. if you're looking for it on YouTube. Because it's on YouTube. And, and I bring yeah. this up to say, when you watch my brother, K1, the meticulous motion, the timing, the rhythm, he in a beat in his head that's playing. And you got to look at him and be like, yo, everything is timing. It's moving. He ain't thinking. He ain't wishy-washy. He ain't in slow motion. He just moving. Mm. And then when he come off, and when he come at it, it, it just it, it just finds its place. Bang! You know, it's not something you can force. The hard and the soft is integrated. To they blend. You don't know when it's gonna be hard, and you don't know when it's gonna be soft. And like you said, mm-hmm. hitting brothers like Michael Duffy. I met Michael. Yeah, he was a massive physical specimen. And yeah, mm. he intimidated me to a point where I was like, that's a fight. 
like you not getting away with not getting hurt in this one. But mm. like the way he talked about it, it was like, yo, I didn't have no strength in the beginning. And Twitty was one of the people that he modeled himself after. So he's like, you know, he, he put me on to how to build my inner strength. And so when I started doing the pull-ups and the push-ups and all of that, I got stronger. And then, you know, I learned the tools. And so, and that's what I'm talking about. These are the, these are the big brothers that would pass on the knowledge in a way that's like, if you're not going to put in the work, why am I going to teach you how to fight? Right. It's a lot of responsibility to give the man the tools of war before he learns how to pick himself up in his esteem. You understand? Because what are you going to do out? Go out and fight everybody? You ain't going to make it. Right. You right. got to be like, when it's time to fight, yeah, I'll get busy. But like, I don't need to make war for trivial stuff. When, right. when righteous men get together, they can walk away from any kind of situation. And people will be like, mm-hmm. oh, y'all was suckers and punks. And they just look at you like, am I not standing here you. looking you dead in your face? Do you think I, I, I care what you think of me? But don't put your hands up like you want something because I'm going to give it to you, bro. And that's the difference than trying to tell you what I do to you if you, yeah, you talk a lot, bro. But then when somebody's ready to go, you you got excuses. Oh, I didn't mean that. That came out the wrong way. No, 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 no. Correct. I heard you loud and clear. But Correct. now you can't Correct. leave. You understand? You can't leave. <laughs> the door is locked. And you're trapped in this four by four. And you got um, to get it done. That's correct. As we're coming down, I mean, this is this is great conversation. I want to touch one more thing before we before we end out. You know, people know about Floyd Mayweather, perhaps one of the greatest boxers of all time in his weight division. Very skilled, talented. He's definitely what we would consider the Michael Jordan of of boxing, etc. But then you also had a gentleman named Zab Judah. I'm close to the person who taught Zab Judah's father, Yoel Judah, about the art of fighting, martial arts, etc. And I talked to a person who was around Yoel Judah in when he was doing the kickboxing uh, tournaments, things of that nature. You know, Zab Judah is another person that is a specimen someone who has that factor, what people call the it factor. He definitely has been a talented fighter when he was in his days of doing fighting, extremely talented, though not as disciplined, it seemed, as as a Mayweather. But there's a famous fight in which Mayweather fights Zab Judah. And they seem to be sort of neck and neck with skill and ability you know, you can see Mayweather's training sort of shining out a little bit more where you can tell that he really put the discipline in and, and the training in. But there's a, a moment in that fight towards the end that Zab Judah seems to have had enough. He just wants to finish it. And he begins to do 52 blocks, which is something that I never saw in a traditional boxing ring in a professional fight, number one, because the gloves are so big and it's sort of difficult to really move the hands in the traditional 52 way. But everyone who saw it knew that it was 52. And as he's doing the 52, he's backing Mayweather up. Mayweather almost looks like he's shook at that moment and starts backing up into the corner as Zab Judah starts to do some uh, iteration of the 52, the announcers are saying, what's that he's doing with his hands? And then, you know, one of the announcers that didn't favor him was saying, you know, oh, he's just doing some stuff because he knows it's over and he's just playing around, just throwing his hands wildly. But those of us who knew, we knew that Zab was doing 52 blocks And in that moment, it looked like Mayweather knew what was going on and didn't want any parts of it. Uh, I think Mayweather ends up winning overall, but during that moment, it just always stands out to me. What were your thoughts about that when you saw that fight? Were you like, there it is? You know, what were your thoughts about seeing Zab Judah in a professional fight for a belt pull out some 52 when when times got hard? (laughs) There's always been 52 in boxing. 
the rhythm yeah. of, of movement defensively. If you look at the shoulder roll, the way you accommodate out of that, the way you roll on the punch and come back with the counter. If you look at the uh, Amadillo defense of Archie Moore, the way he would, you know, throw hooks and uppercuts because he was getting in close. You can really kind of see the smoking aspect or the boogie aspect in Joe Frazier. I mean, even the footwork of Ali, the way he would shift or when he was able to bounce like the butterfly, the footwork would land and then he's, he's off. He's not in front of you no more. I mean, those are different elements of the culture transpiring in the, in the fight. Everybody's not going to fight the same way. You kind of adapt to what your strengths are. I met Joel when he had a gym over in uh, 400 Liberty in Brooklyn. He took over for Kid Kelly. And uh, I used to train a couple of people out of there. So he's a great dude. Uh, hell of a hell of an in instrument of uh, raising his kid. So Zab came up with a sense of uh, principality. And that was probably part of his problem. You know what I mean? It was hard for him to be humble, but his name is Jab Zuda. You understand what I'm saying? So You're right. he, he carrying some heavy, some heavy distinction with him. And him and Floyd knew each other. And they know mm -hmm. about, they both know about 52. I mean, if you ask Roger Mayweather, may he rest in peace. He was like, yeah, that's that street stuff, but you know, it's not boxing. Meaning mm -hmm. boxing in the ring per se. However, you know, Jab, Jude, and uh, May had a good thing when they did the uh, 100 rounds with uh, Raekwon, that video. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's always been there. And yeah, they're different fighters. Mayweather is a master of discipline. He's meticulous. He adjusts and adapts. Zab is a freelancer. Like, sometimes he'll get in and do what he's supposed to do, and then sometimes he let it go. You know, right. and... He, you know, when he fought uh, Costa Zoo, he was all over the dude. But he got a little hardy when he got clipped. It just, he just lost it. So he, you know, he had that tendency to not stay focused the whole time. So the round you're talking about is the fifth round of the fight. And May understood what was happening. Zab was baiting him. I tell people all the time, you think I'm going to stand there and just start blocking and moving my hands slowly, like, what that mean? It don't mean anything. It means you're not going to throw a punch. Nobody's going to, what is he doing? Oh, let me throw a punch and see if I can hit him. Now, I might throw a punch at some lazy dude who don't understand what he's doing because I'm going to break right. his whole frame down. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But Zab, you know, he may knew he was setting the trap for him and just laid up. If I don't punch, what are you doing? Now, that's like, that's like missing the offensive aspect of 52. I don't got to wait for you to punch, bro. I can go and make you throw punches because I'm going to be busting you. I'm going to get up right mm -hmm. in your chest and hit you with all kinds of things. Shoe shine or nine. So, yeah, the fight was there. But as, as you look, Zab was hot the first five rounds, catching them with mm -hmm. speed, everything. Even had a knockdown. They didn't call it, but it was there. It's legit. Glove touched the floor. That's the rule. But mm -hmm. May started picking him apart, and he knew he was mm -hmm. losing Zab. That's why he lost it in the 10th round. It was like, I can't do nothing with this dude. And that's the thing mm. about being disciplined. That's the right. difference in somebody who really know 52 and somebody out here who playing with it. You like the discipline. I don't care what you do, bro. When the longer this situation goes on, the less you're going to have. Mm. And as sharp as Zab is and as beautiful as his family is, because I met Daniel, all of them were treating me well, man. So there ain't nothing but love for this young man because he's younger than me. You know what I'm saying? But like, I respect yeah. him. Like, he, he acts Buster Rhymes. Don't mess with Zab. Like, he real. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But like, mm -hmm. you got to understand something. Like, you know, there are people who are equally your talent. And, and, and May has done masterful boxing against people who he wasn't supposed to be able to beat. Or people wanted to see him lose to. He made them look like children. Mm. y'all comes to mind. And when he fought Madonna, he fought him twice. The first time he stood still and let him and banged with him just so people would say, oh, you running. But no, I took I took all that, took the best he had and I beat him. And then I did it my way and showed you how easy it was. So you got to look at mastery is in the mind. There's a measure that we, we're trying to climb to. You never know about perfection until somebody said, damn, you were so effortless in that thing, man. It just didn't look like you was doing anything. That's the that's the amount of work that you put in to get to a point where you can't even recognize it. Yeah, you know, that that was that was definitely a fight. Um, 
and 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 it was just so interesting those folks who had pulled that clip out of that moment where he was using it and how nobody knew what it was that he was doing but those who knew knew um as as we come to the end of the show uh i i want to ask you know every time we have someone on the show we always ask them for a charge for the audience you know we don't want our time together to just be entertainment we want it to be uh you know edutainment we want folks to go and do something with it when they finish learning about what we've discussed what would be your charge to our listeners that after they've heard uh this episode of 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 leading by history today talking about 52 uh what would be your charge to them in sending them away how can they apply this information in their daily life when they walk away from from this uh, episode? I would say to anybody that's listening, respect your culture. It comes with good and bad. And you got to understand survival doesn't say what is good and bad. It's what you do to survive. And it doesn't always play nice life, that is. So when it comes down to this, in anything that you do, understand that the people that we admire they're flawed. Mm -hmm. And, but when they reach that pinnacle that we like, that inspire us, like watching Ali or watching Sugar Ray Leonard inspired me to buy, but I also learned a lot from Mike Tyson, who also did 52 in the ring. He didn't have to do it the way he did it, but you know, he got off a little bit on bone crusher and did a little something, but Mike was a beast, but Mike was also a student and he put in the work. You know, his workouts are notorious for like thousands of sit-ups and dips and all of these things that he put his body through to be at his highest level. And yet there were fighters that equaled him at his at his pinnacle. But even they said it was only after he slipped a little bit that they noticed he wasn't in his, the same mindset. And I'm talking about Evander Holyfield. And Evander right. fought Mike, but like in, in all respect, he only saw Mike after he saw Mike slipping. So that goes to show yeah. you that people were watching us. You know what I mean? And they, you know, they love to like pull us on the carpet and, and then say, see, look at them. But you got to get past all of the egoness of what people see and know that in this culture is genius. And to aspire to reach that level in anything that you do, let that shine. And be proud of who you are, no matter what aspect of this culture you represent, any belief system, all that's us. We first family. You know what I mean? We are the human family. First family, meaning that all humans are us. And everything that we do as humans is us because it's and it started with us. So when mm-hmm. you walk around, man, that head up high and look for the things that speak to you and you know that an element of that is in you. And if you inspire to move on this, then by all means, seek the proper information because not everybody is concerned about the culture. Some people just want to show you things, but like, how do you build a building? You have to start with the foundation. Without a foundation, there is no building. Most definitely, this was a discussion that I wanted to see transpire for a while. I appreciate you taking the time to have this discussion and to talk about the history of this fighting art that many still haven't heard of, but after today, we'll go and do some research and learn more. Um, Is there anywhere that you will want to send people that want to get in contact with you or want to learn more about 52, uh, et cetera. Is there any way that folks can reach out and contact you or or learn more? You can provide my information, not my phone number, but <laughs> yeah. my email. I do have Facebook. The best way now is via email. If people are interested in the documentary, I still have the ability to make copies. I would say that like show and prove is on YouTube right now. And- okay. uh, I'm not necessarily mad about that because I did want it to go public. If they get an opportunity, uh, definitely go to YouTube, look up Parisi Daniels' channel. Everything I've ever posted is on there still. Uh, you know, the things that we've done, the demonstrations, 
Uh, it's a lot to take in. And yes, you will come across thousands of other entries of, of content wrapped around 52. The name became more important than the culture. And I think that that's where we suffer at a little bit because without the culture, the name wouldn't mean anything. Right. So they're synonymous is what I'm trying to say. And, you know, and learn more about yourself. Don't turn a a blind eye to any aspect of it. Take it all in because Mm. you never know where you're going to get that diamond in the rough. Something that might speak Mm. to the way you're moving in your own life right now and might open up doors for you you never thought you had. So don't be afraid to knock. Mm. Well, thank you, Teresi Daniel of C52G, 52 Blocks. We appreciate having this history, and we thank you so much for for being with us today. And for those of us at Leading by History, we say peace. Peace. Thank you for tuning in to the Leading by History podcast yet again. We appreciate your support. And as always, never take what you hear on face value, but always go and investigate the sources. Look, until we get together again on another episode, we want you to stay safe and we say to you, peace.